You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Buckeye Breakdown Podcast as Buckeyes now continues our coverage rolling into week one. Ohio State getting ready to open the season with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And to give us some perspective on exactly what things are like right now up in Minneapolis, we welcome in the publisher of Gopher Illustrated on the 247 Sports Network. Ryan Burns does a great job covering Minnesota, and we're glad to have him uh, join us here for a little bit. Ryan, thanks for your time and looking forward to finally kicking off the season. We don't have to talk about training camp. We don't have to talk about speculation. This can be actual, legitimate football. It's been far too long. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've talked about the offseason for nine months now. I've talked about recruiting for nine months now. I want to see what the product looks like because I think Ohio State fans are obviously very excited about their season and their national championship hopes. And on the Minnesota side of things, I think there's a lot of optimism that maybe Minnesota is a team in the West that can come out. So I'm just excited to talk about legitimate football coming up on Thursday night. I don't want to have this be too reflective of last year because I think everybody in a lot of ways is sick and tired of last year. Talking about it, thinking about it, reflecting on the challenges that it brought Um, But I think there's at least some value when forecasting what this year could look like in in trying to put in appropriate perspective what last year brought. And even even for something as simple as the statistics, everybody played a different number of games. You know, strength of schedules could have been all over the place. So maybe some of those things don't tell a full picture. Um, If you could try to at least just give us a brief summary on what was – Certainly a little bit of a disappointing 2020 season, um, but you know wh- where specifically were some of those disappointments and where are maybe some of the bright spots from last year that you, know, you guys you guys think Minnesota is going to build on going into this year? It was an interesting year all around, uh, especially for Minnesota. I think it started before the season when their star receiver Rashad Bateman opts out and then the Big Ten is canceled. Big Ten comes back on Rashad Bateman. Ops back in, plays for a few games, ops back out. Um, you had just a lot of things going on around the program. I mean, COVID hit Minnesota uh, probably just as much as some of the other Big Ten teams where they had they couldn't play some games some weeks. There were some weeks, like P.J. Fleck likes to talk about against Nebraska, where they were, I think at this point, the legend has now grown to they were somehow down 50 players. But <laughs> in reality, they were down somewhere between probably 25 and 30 players between injuries and COVID, but they were still able to go into Lincoln and, and beat a Nebraska team, but you know, the year didn't start off so well where they get college game day in town for them against Michigan. And then they absolutely just don't show up. The defense is just gashed all night long and it's just an absolute drumming. Iowa comes into town. One of Minnesota's biggest rivals is up 35, nothing in the fourth quarter. And it just, things really didn't click for Minnesota. And that's a culmination of different things. But I think you saw towards the end of the year, uh, Minnesota started to figure it out defensively, and you look up at the end of the year of 2020, and they're three and four, and that's where you know that's not where they want to be. You know they should have been four and three. They blew a three-score lead in the fourth quarter against Maryland somehow, and then lost in overtime. Uh, they had every chance to win 
against the Badgers in Madison, and they couldn't get it done on special teams, amongst other things there. If they were able to finish those overtime games, we're talking about a five and two football team that I don't know that was particularly good last year. So it's tough to kind of prognosticate in terms of what did 2020 mean for Minnesota compared to 21. Now they returned 20 to 22 starters. The two guys they don't have, Rashad Bateman was a first round draft pick of the Baltimore Ravens. Benjamin St. Juice, a cornerback, was a third round pick of the Washington football team. So yeah, they lost a couple of talented guys, but they do return quite a bit. So we're going to find out this year with so many super seniors across the country, these six and even Minnesota's got some seventh-year guys, which I've never even heard of before. I mean, a couple of these guys have to be old enough where they can bang near rent a car at this point. So does it mean anything? I don't know. I mean, I think it means something. But to kind of quantify, does it mean a lot or a little? I think we're going to find out here very soon. I feel like it might be easier to talk offense, but um, some of what you've just alluded to there makes me think we should start on the defensive side of the ball. I know Minnesota had a, a fairly young defense last year and obviously had a, a, a pretty uh, COVID-inflicted side of the ball there in particular. Um, so some of the defensive numbers don't really maybe tell the whole story. You alluded to those first, first couple games of the year, you know, 567 rushing yards and, and eight touchdowns over those first two games isn't probably a perfect indicator of what the defense was capable of, but maybe the the, the performances by the defense against Purdue and, and Wisconsin toward the end of the year and Indiana, maybe those weren't perfect indicators either. So let's start defense, maybe talk about a couple of the, the transfers up front and just what you expect sort of from this year's defense. I think they will be much improved. Now, I don't know that you'll be able to see that against an Ohio State offense that's obviously been very prolific, uh, even with a brand new quarterback back there. I mean, you look at this game on paper if you want to use those 2020 statistics, and Ohio State had the number one run offense in the Big Ten. I think they averaged five and a half yards of carry, over 250 yards a game. And then you look at Minnesota, they were dead last in the Big Ten because they allowed over six yards of carry. I remember the stat going into December last year before Minnesota's final two games of the year. Minnesota was averaging giving up to just strictly running backs over eight yards of carry. That is absolutely horrendous. Now, they got better as the season went on. And when you look at that 2020 defense, Minnesota lost a lot of guys. They lost, I think, seven or eight starters, a lot of guys that had played a lot of football. And they just never got the offseason to kind of get those guys acclimated. They had three spring practices, and then COVID knocked it out. Didn't really get much in the summer. They got the three-week abbreviated fall camp, and then they were thrust into action. And that's where if you ask defensive coordinator Joe Rossi, that's he puts a lot on that, that they didn't get time to make the adjustments, and you saw Minnesota get better as the year went on. Now you look at the team, that, or the defense anyway, that Ohio State will face on Thursday night. I do think they'll be better. Now Minnesota's very old and experienced on the defensive line. They brought in a couple of transfers, one by the name of Niles Pinckney from Clemson, someone that played all four years at Clemson, played over 1,200 snaps there in his career, someone that I think will be inserted immediately at defensive tackle. They took another defensive tackle from the transfer portal in Val Martin, someone I think you'll see more on pass rushing downs. And then they have a couple of defensive ends that are multi-year starters, one being Boye Mafe, who I think is going to be a top 100 draft pick in the next NFL draft. Uh, he is incredibly gifted, led the team in sacks and tackles for loss last year. Uh, his claim to fame is he was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, where <laughs> he's 263 pounds and he's got a 40-inch vertical. 
uh, I, I don't know that I could jump that high, and I'm definitely not that way. So they're very experienced on their defensive line, and we're going to find out that is that going to make things any better because the linebackers were horrible last year. They struggled immensely. They were replacing two longtime starters. Minnesota took another transfer there in Jack Gibbons, of which I don't know that the defensive coordinator, who's also the linebackers coach, Joe Rossi, could be any higher on him. Uh, he just thinks he can provide a lot of stability there and just know where he needs to be, which was a big issue at times last year. So it's going to be interesting. Now, do I think Minnesota is going to come out and become the 85 Bears in terms of against Ohio State? Absolutely not. But do I think that they can be a formidable type of run defense? Potentially. I mean, we just don't know. Uh, I think there's just a lot of unknowns because Minnesota's got some new guys. Ohio State's got a brand new quarterback. Are they going to change the offense for his skill set? Are they not? I mean, that's what the that's what Rossi talked about today with the media was they're kind of preparing for ghosts because, yes, you know what Ohio State and Ryan Day have done traditionally in the past on offense, and so you prepare for that, but it's game one. So there's going to be brand new wrinkles everywhere, and it's kind of which side of the ball adjusts first, especially with all that skill position talent for the Buckeyes. Ryan Day talked about the, the same concept today being a real challenge. Game one, you know, you, you have to factor in some of the film from a year ago, but in some regards, it's about just trying to be the best you can be and then figuring out who's better at adjusting in-game right. because it's a challenging week uh, without film from this year to get ready for guys. You you brought up, uh, you mentioned the word sacks and, and tackles for loss. What was it last year that was so difficult that as a team – basically averaged one sack and, and two total or two, two and a half tackles for loss per game. Um, those are obviously numbers that if you're looking at the stats would kind of jump off the page at you. Why was that such a, a challenge last year? Uh, some of it was COVID. I mean, they, they were COVID hit Minnesota specifically the hardest was their defensive line. Uh, boy, Mafe missed time. They had other their defensive tackle starters missed three games. So they had to throw in freshmen out there. It just, it was a culmination of different things that they weren't very disruptive at all. And that was a big issue. I mean, you go back and watch Minnesota's game against Maryland. They made Talia Tungo Viola look like a prime Michael Vick. They couldn't <laughs> contain anybody in a rushing lane. They couldn't get any rush. And they just made people look a lot better than they were at times. And that's where that was one of the questions we asked Rossi today was what makes you think you can be more disruptive? Whether that is statistically, whether that is just with the pressure, and they feel a lot better about their defensive tackles this year than they did a year ago. But that's because they're older. Um, you know, I believe Minnesota's probably going to rotate five or six guys on their defensive tackle rotation because they feel that good about it. Now, that's all great in theory, but your linebackers have to be a lot better too. So the theory is for Minnesota, you know, for them to become more disruptive, part of the issue was they couldn't get in any time, they couldn't get in passing downs. Every time you ran two plays on the ground, you had a first down, I mean, statistically anyway. So when you can't get into passing downs and teams just because of COVID can just run it down your throat amongst other things, it was just a struggle at times last year. And that's where, again, I think Minnesota will be improved defensively when you look at the metrics or look at the statistics. I think they'll probably be more average to above average where last year they were mediocre. But the question is, what does that mean for game one? Because it's going to be tough to say with especially that Ohio State wide receiving core going against what I think isn't uh, necessarily the strength of the defense, which is the Minnesota secondary. 
I was just about to ask you about the secondary um, because I think the Buckeyes feel that truly one of their strengths of this team is the receiving core. Sounds like they're going to rotate six guys. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba should be the first three out there. But Julian Fleming and true freshman Emeka Igbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. are going to see time uh, on Thursday as well. Um, you know, Ohio State really feels like they can throw the ball, and they've done that pretty well here now the last several years. Um, with Winfield gone now a couple seasons and, and you know, some new faces in the defensive backfield and, and frankly, um, without having played Minnesota in a few years, perhaps some Buckeye fans not terribly familiar with the personnel in the secondary. So can you give us an idea of, of what to expect back there? Yeah, I'd first say P.J. Fleck genuinely couldn't be any more complimentary toward the Ohio State wide receiving core. I don't know if you or your readers have seen the quotes this week, but he's talked yep. at length in the last two weeks about how he thinks this Buckeye wide receiver room is probably the most talented in college football. And then you look at it and how Ohio State doesn't have to recruit. They just get to select. And you have uh, I mean, you have your two headliners, Aaron Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And you make me feel incredibly old now that Marvin Harrison Jr. is somehow <laughs> college eligible. But there's just so many different guys that they can throw at you. And that's where you look at Minnesota secondary. They have a sixth-year corner in Coney Durr, uh, someone that got all Big Ten recognition last year. I don't have really many worries about him. He's not the fastest guy in the world. But he's been around a long time. He knows what's in front of him. It's that other corner spot. It's uh, it is going to be an interesting interesting time to see who fills that. Now, I think the prime candidate would be a kid by the name of Terrell Smith, six foot one, can run quite a bit. Coming out of high school, he had a 5 one hundred meter time on. So he has been far too grabby in coverage, and he hasn't been physical enough in the run game in the last couple of years. But there's optimism that a light bulb has gone on for him in year four. If it's not one of them. Uh, and in the corner position, you're going to see freshmen. You're either going to see a true freshman by the name of Justin Wally, who Minnesota got out of Mississippi, beat Ole Miss in Mississippi State for. He was Mr. Mississippi or Mr. Football in the state of Mississippi last year. Or you're going to see a, an Ohio kid by the name of Miles Fleming as a redshirt freshman come out there that uh, Minnesota converted him from a quarterback position, when he, which is what he played out in the state of Ohio there. But that is going to be the question mark because – if Minnesota does force passing downs and they continue to struggle to get pressure, I don't care how good your secondary is against Ohio State's wide receivers. If they have to cover Chris Olave for five and a half seconds, he's probably going to be open. Garrett Wilson for five and a half seconds, he's probably going to be open. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, now, it's just very inexperienced out there outside of Coney Durr. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what different combinations, because we really don't know. Minnesota's another team that doesn't put out a depth chart. Uh, we only got to see a couple of fall practices, and even then, there was a lot of rotating going on in the secondary. So I think that is going to be an interesting battle to watch is how open does Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson get? And if they do, can C.J. Stroud hit them in stride? A lot of questions, not a lot of answers. I think a lot of teams right now feel that way uh, around the country. It's just the nature of the beast. Let's go on to the other side of the ball where I think perhaps um, there are much – uh, there, there are many fewer questions for Minnesota. Um, you've got a, a really solid veteran quarterback. Tanner Morgan's done a really nice job. Obviously, you, you know you can run the football, or you, you sure like to think you can run the football with the success that Ibrahim has had uh, in, in his most recent run last year. I know Rashad Bateman's not there anymore. Um, a huge offensive line. 
let's just start maybe, uh, you know, 10,000 foot view, your expectations of the offense this year. Uh, I think they should be much improved, uh, especially in the scoring department. They struggled at times last year. Again, a culmination of different things. It was a brand new offensive coordinator. Uh, Kirk Shiraka, Minnesota's offensive coordinator in 2019, when they had that magical year, went 11 and two. Uh, he went to Penn State, uh, where he's from. He's from Pennsylvania. James Franklin had him for a year, blamed him for the offensive woes, and then then fired him. Uh, and so Minnesota brought in Mike Sanford after the bowl win there, someone that P.J. Flex know a long time. People will remember him from maybe his time at Notre Dame as the offensive coordinator. He was a Western Kentucky head coach, went to Utah State to coach Jordan Love for a year before he came to Minnesota. And he, there just wasn't a lot, uh, a lot of fluidity on offense where Sanford didn't know what Tanner Morgan's strengths were. Uh, he just didn't know what the personnel was because he didn't get any time with him. Again, he had three spring practices uh, before the season started, and that's where he got his three weeks leading up to it. So the biggest question for Minnesota's offense this year is what form do we see from Tanner Morgan? It's his fourth year as the starter. In 2019, throws 30 touchdowns, I think seven, eight interceptions. Last year, seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. He just wasn't as efficient. He didn't seem like he knew as much of what Sanford wanted out of that offense. But, to, I mean, when you also look at it, I think he's probably one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the Big Ten now. And we've seen Tanner Morgan play really well against good teams. You look at that Penn State victory they had in that 2019 season. He was a large part of that. You look at the game against Auburn where Minnesota wins in the Outback Bowl. He was a big part of that. And then last year he took a step back. So what does the passing game look like? Because I, I know what I'm going to see in the running game. And I know I'm going to see Mo Ibrahim, who is a very, very good zone runner. He has some of the best vision I, I think I've ever seen, especially from a Minnesota running back. He is just incredibly fun to watch in the zone blocking scheme. But it's who is Tanner Morgan throwing the ball to as well. Because uh, Chris Ottman bell the number one wide receiver from Minnesota, is also a bit banged up coming into this game. Uh, we'll see if he plays against Ohio State. Fleck hasn't said one way or another. You know, from the injury updates we've gotten, if you trust Coach Speak, which uh, you are, a, a, you have more faith in college football coaches than I. Uh, you know, he's gone from week to week to day to day, and then we heard last week he was running. So we'll find out in a couple of days here if Chris Ottman Bell plays. But if he doesn't, I mean, who is Minnesota going to be throwing the ball to? Because if I was Ohio State, or essentially any opposing defensive coordinator going against this Minnesota offense this year, I'm throwing seven, eight in the box and saying, beat me. I mean, beat me in the passing game, Tanner Morgan. Uh, beat me in the passing game. What other pa uh, passing game target you want to throw to? Because you're going to have to stop Ibrahim in this offensive line, which is very, very experienced. PJ Flex been here five, or he's about to start his fifth year now, I guess is a better right. way to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, had enough time to bring his own guys in, uh, and and a couple of years ago, this was a really really good football team. Mm -hmm. I, I'm struggling to ask this the right way. You, you have to throw last year out because of all of the things that you just couldn't control. Sure. From the outside looking in, do you think that this program still has momentum? where they can be a perennial top 15 team in the country and compete to win a Big Ten championship? Top 15, I don't know that they're I, – I, here's what I'll say, is I think this 2021 Minnesota team is going to be pretty good. Now, I also think that because I think the rest of the Big Ten necessarily, I'd say like 60 70% of the Big Ten, I don't think is very good. 
I mean, by very good, I think they're a six-win or less team. And I look at the Big Ten West here, uh, I think we saw what Nebraska is and continues to be. Um, you know, Brett Bielema has got that team playing well, but again, it's tough to say that they're going to win more than five games. Nebraska, I don't know if they're going to make a bowl game. Northwestern lost everyone, including their star defensive coordinator. They're, they're a completely dismantled team. Uh, I, I am not incredibly high on Iowa this year for an assortment of different reasons. So I think before we even get into the top 15 discussion is, can P.J. West, now in year five, prove that this is a perennial Big Ten West contender? Because Northwestern, Iowa, and Wisconsin have had the stranglehold on it for a long time. Now, Minnesota nearly had it in 2019. They had Wisconsin at home. All they had to do was win the game, and they, they didn't show up for the last 45 minutes of the game. And Wisconsin wins the West, and Minnesota doesn't get to play Ohio State and Indianapolis. So I think this year could be a very good year for Minnesota. I think I've said that I think Minnesota goes 9-3. and three. I don't include Ohio State in one of those victories. But I look at the, the next eight games for Minnesota after Ohio State, and there's not a ranked team amongst the bunch. I mean, it's really not incredibly grueling. And then they end the year with three potential ranked games when they're on the road at Iowa, on the road at Indiana, and they host Wisconsin. So if, Minis if P.J. Fleck can prove this year that 2019 wasn't the anomaly and that Minnesota can just become a perennial Big Ten West contender, let alone I think this year would be – wouldn't surprise me one bit if they somehow came out of the West, because, again, I think the West is more open than what people think. But if they can become a perennial top 25 team, um, I think that would be a much needed step in the right direction because they're one in seven against their rivals in Wisconsin and Iowa. And if you want to win the West, you're going to have to go through Madison and Iowa City. Ryan Burns of Gopher Illustrated, our guest. How about from a recruiting perspective? What's the state right now of Minnesota recruiting as you start to think about the future of your program? I'd say they're yours, like you own it. <laughs> the future of Gopher football. I mean, they're they're recruiting as well as they ever have been. And whether you want to look at the twenty four seven rankings, the twenty four seven composites, uh, whichever rankings you want to look at, they're certainly on the up and up from the Tracy Clay's and Jerry Kill years. And I don't really want to talk about the Tim Brewster years because that was just an absolute dumpster fire. Uh, but they're certainly recruiting as well as they have. And whether you want to look at the stars or whether you want to look at the committable offer list for a lot of these kids, I mean, this 2021 class, I think, for Minnesota that is now on campus and um, you know, is going through fall camp had six four-stars among them, which is it's really good for Minnesota standards. And um, it's going to be interesting to kind of follow along here because in this 22 class, um, it's, it's a lot smaller. I think Minnesota's only got 12, 13 commits right now because they don't know how many spots they're going to have. Uh, you know, there is a realistic possibility that they have five, six, like, you know, quote unquote, early and early guys leave um, that could have another year of eligibility, but they don't know, you know, and that's where it's all about. If you do have those spots and they do open up because guys leave early, well, you probably had a pretty good year and that's okay. And if you didn't have a great year, those guys will be back for another and they'll help you in 22. But, Fleck has elevated Minnesota in recruiting. I mean, they being able to get Rashad Bateman um, and hold him off, especially over the in-state Georgia school, you know, that was a, just a whole saga with that one. But Minnesota is recruiting as well as they have been. Now it's not top five, top ten where you know, Ohio State is every year, but they're now consistently probably in the low 30s um, at the after the second signing day, which is pretty good for Minnesota standards. 
I want to talk uh, big picture college football here for a second because sure. I think it's interesting uh, for, for Buckeye fans that are so focused on Columbus or live within the footprint of the Buckeye uh, campus to, to maybe get a sense for how other Big Ten schools uh, and their fans are feeling about all the chaos that's going on in college football. Um, sure, you've got transfer portal and name, image, and likeness, and 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 some of the the player focused things. But um, you know, when Texas and Oklahoma leave and go to the SEC, and now it 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 has all of this tension around uh, around the country. You've got the Big Ten, the the Pac-12, and the ACC forming an alliance um, that you know, doesn't have a lot of direction to it yet, just has a lot of hand-holding and kumbaya singing and saying we're going to do this together. Um, and, and it might work out great, don't get me wrong, but, you know, not a lot of concrete evidence yet of what that's going to look like. Can you give us an example or or at least a sampling of what the perspective is of Gopher fans, of what's going on in college football? Do they think it's good for the sport? Do they even care that Texas and Oklahoma are part of the SEC? What's the what's the thought and the feeling right now up there? I mean, they care. Um, I think everybody's just kind of looking at the Big 12 up here and thinking, what in the world is going to happen to you now? You know, if you are a Kansas or Kansas State right now, you have to be terrified because who sure. the heck wants Manhattan and who wants Lawrence right now? And you mentioned the alliance, and it was funny to kind of see the quotes that came out. And I think the, the verbiage was a gentleman's agreement. We just yeah. looked each other in the eye and it's like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> the SEC comes in and offers you more money. You're just going to go there. So I think from Minnesota's perspective, they're interested to see what kind of happens. Now, I think I would love to see, like, you know, we'll see what Kevin Warren does because, you know, Kevin Warren says a lot of words and there's not really a lot of meaning behind them uh, or a lot of substance to them, I would say. At least that's my perspective from the Minnesota side of things. And that's someone who kind of knew Kevin Warren-ish when he was with the Minnesota Vikings uh, before he took that job. So, you know, I would love to see USC and UCLA. I'd say screw the Alliance, get them in the Big Ten. I'd love to get, you know, those two teams in specifically, maybe Washington and Oregon. But, again, we have no idea what the Pac-12 and the ACC and the Big Ten Alliance will be. And I don't know that it makes a ton of sense from the Big Ten's perspective, because to me, you're the best conference of that. I mean, what really is the, especially what is the ACC going to provide you in football? Who cares? <laughs> I, I don't care about it. I mean, it's Clemson and what? Florida you know, State. Miami isn't it. what they used to be. Florida State isn't what they used to be. So what kind of value? I think the ACC and the Pac-12 are getting a much better deal than the Big Ten. But again, we have to see what any of this means, because a handshake agreement doesn't mean anything to I me. Mean, it really doesn't. I mean, especially when we're talking about a lot of money on the line. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what Kevin Warren does here with this new alliance. I, uh, I, I have entertained in my head a lot of different scenarios of what I'd like to see play out. And certainly one of those is UC, USC, UCLA. Can you, can you usurp them into the Big Ten? Right. You know, Los Angeles is a mega, mega TV market. Uh, it, would, it would push your footprint to the West Coast. You know, some of the schools, certainly Ohio State, are are already able to convince and recruit some kids from the West Coast uh, to come to the Midwest. But man, if I didn't see that UCLA game and and see five thousand people oh, at the Rose Bowl, I mean, dude, there was nobody there. Well, they're, and, they're even giving away. I don't know if you saw for the LSU game, they came out and said if you're just yep. a high school student, 
you can come get free tickets. Yeah. You're a college student, come get free tickets. They're, I mean, they're literally giving them away to try and get anybody to show up to these games. And again, yeah, it's about the fans in the stands, yes. But I think you and I both know it's all about that TV money. Well, it is. And I just wonder if if Los Angeles is enough of a college sports town. I'm I'm of the opinion that fans out there are far more locked in on teams like the Lakers and the Dodgers. Um, and I don't know if it's just a, a headspace thing. I mean, USC's got the tradition. Um, UCLA certainly a basketball proud program, and they, they're coming off a great run, but this is a football driven conversation. Um, I just don't know if it's a great fit. I, I I am almost more inclined to look at Oregon because of the tie-in with Nike than I am with with you know UCLA and USC. Um, but I I just don't know if there's a perfect answer right now for Big Ten expansion out that way. But I, I agree with you for sure. The Big Ten is the only school in the alliance, the the non legally binding, non contract signed <laughs> gentlemen's handshake agreement. Uh, the Big Ten is the only league in that alliance that can compete with the SEC on the balance sheet uh, in addition to on the field. And there would have to be a really, for me, there'd have to be a really convincing argument to add teams because if I'm the Big Ten, I just don't know that I'm that interested in bringing on Kansas or Iowa State. I, I, I can understand it, but I don't think it does enough for the league to help everybody. I'm with you. So that's where – I don't, I don't know that there's a perfect answer um, to who they should expand to. Again, I, I truly still don't get what the Big Ten is doing in this alliance because it doesn't make a lot of sense for me uh, for the Big Ten compared to what it does for the Pac-12. Who The Pac-12 is scared that they're going to have the Big Ten come in and take their teams. I mean, their top teams. And that's where even the ACC, I mean, it, it, I just don't think it makes a ton of sense. And again, we'll see what Kevin Warren and this thing ends up being, if it ends up being anything at all. But it is just, it's fascinating because I do think, just like you do, I think it's the SEC and the Big Ten and kind of everybody else now, especially with Oklahoma and Texas gone. I mean, what is the Big 12 going to do is probably the number one question we all are thinking of. Um, I mean, at what did, you know, say they add Houston and SMU, um, and you can think of a couple other teams there, but it's like, well, what's the point? I mean, they're not as good of a conference as what now what they once were. It's going to be fascinating to kind of see how the dominoes continue to fall here. Yeah, I think the elephant in this conversation is Notre Dame. Uh, there's not a conference in the country that wouldn't want to add Notre Dame, um, but I'm not sure Notre Dame is interested in leaving its independence. Um, and I don't think – Something seismic would have to change for Notre Dame to say, okay, time for us to join a league. Uh, and obviously, right in the heart of the Big Ten footprint, there are already affiliate members in hockey in the Big Ten. I realize Notre Dame would probably have to go the ACC route um, first. But, um, you know, that's that's the one school that I think everybody would say, nope, nope, that adds value. We'll, we'll welcome them in with open arms. So I just I have a hard time believing Notre Dame would want to go from playing the soft ACC schedule <laughs> the military schools to wanting to become a Big 10 member and potentially be exposed a little bit um, and not have the glory of yeah, we know we're 10 and 0 and you know, we beat Clemson. And that's the only ranked team we yep. played all year. What do you yeah. want us to do? You know, I, <laughs> I would love to see Notre Dame in the Big 10 just because I think they would have come crashing down to earth. A little 
Well, uh, unfortunately, I think that is wishful thinking because I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon. Ryan, really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, remind everybody where they can consume your content, podcast, um, your print content, any video stuff you do. Yeah. I mean, if you want to follow me on the Twitter machine here for the next few days uh, through the Ohio State game, I'm at Ryan Burns MN on the Twitter machine. You can read my work at goforillustrated.com or if you just put it in the Google machine, Minnesota 24 7. And if you want to get a podcast from the Minnesota perspective of things, you can just put into whatever podcasting platform you have, Gophers. And I'm pretty sure Gopher Gridiron Radio is the first thing that pops up. So if you're looking to learn a little bit more about Minnesota heading into this game, I think Gopher Illustrated is the place to do it. Sounds like a lot of machines up your way. (laughs) Yeah, well, we are. What do you think we do in the winter when we get all that stuff? (laughs) Uh, This has been a great conversation. Thanks for the insight and uh, looking forward to covering the game this week. Cheers. I appreciate the time.